0: tis the season friends the time has come right tis the season for lights and tis the season for carols tis the season for gatherings of all different sorts that'll be on our calendars all month long right and tis the season perhaps my favorite of all Christmas candy. Who else likes Christmas candy here? Yeah, it's good stuff, right? You know, we've got, we've got Buckeyes and peppermint bark and fudge. Oh my. But by far, my favorite Christmas candy is the kind of candy where like two unexpected things kind of come together and create a miracle in your mouth. All right. Let's just talk about one hypothetically here like if you have me over to your home and maybe we're watching the cowboys lose or texas go down or whatever um, and you put out a ball is he even in the room he's even in the room he's watching the game isn't he that's what it gets okay and i put out a bowl of, you put out a bowl of pretzels, I am not going to eat your pretzels, all right? I I don't know. I just, that's not what I'm going to choose. And if you hand me chocolate, like a chocolate bar, I'm probably not going to eat that either. I'm not a huge chocolate fan. I can take it or leave it. But if you dip a pretzel in white chocolate, like I will eat that all day long. Or you take a pretzel and you like melt a Rolo on top of it. I mean, right? It's good stuff. And so today I would just like to publicly thank the person, whoever you were, who had the courage and the bravery to even like give this a shot because like who would have thought, right? Pretzels and chocolate, deliciousness. But each year here at Christmas, we celebrate the miracle of two unexpected things coming together to create something so much more important than a delicious treat. And that is... Um, is is that we have a God who somehow decided to come and take on human flesh and, and to become the person of Jesus in our midst again, not to just give us like something nice, nothing something sweet, but to like change our world fundamentally. And so this year at Christmas, rather than walking through all the normal Christmas stories, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at at the miracle himself, Jesus. That's a miracle that God would choose to come and do this among us. We're going to take a look at how he worked miracles like everywhere he went. As he breathed and as he walked and as he talked among us, he was changing our world. And so um, today we're gonna take a look first at a miracle that involved a little boy. And little boys are something I know something about, right? I have two of them in my home. And so as I read this story, I can't help but think about like the backstory that it took for this story to happen. Um, I can imagine, because this is how it would go at my house, that this was just a normal day for this little boy that um, perhaps, you know, his, his mom had to drag him out of bed, even though he was yelling, just 15 more minutes, right? Maybe that was... Jeremy at our house, but our little boys sometimes too. Maybe he got up out of bed and he was just like grumpily stumbling around, throwing on his clothes and forcing down his breakfast and um, hastily gathering up all of his things to get somewhere. We're not exactly sure where he was going that day, but um, as he made his way to the door and opened it up, I can imagine like the light just like blinding him. His eyes are still adjusting as his mom comes comes up behind him and at the same time, in one swift motion, like shoves him out the door, kisses him on the cheek and shoves a sack lunch into his chest saying, have a great day, son, slam behind him. And I can imagine him standing there and taking a deep breath and saying, have a good day too, mom, as he started to walk along. Now, wherever he was from, because we don't know that, and wherever he was going, we're not sure, what we do know for certain is that as this little boy was going along, he ended up here beside the Sea of Galilee. I can just imagine him like breathing in that sea air and listening to the gentle roll of the waves and I mean like if that doesn't help brighten your day I'm not sure what will right and so he's standing there and he's taking in this sea scene when all of a sudden there is all of this commotion going on around him there's all of this chatter all of this chaos that's breaking out and so he looks over to see what it is that's happening and it's this crowd of people that are running and shouting but not in an angry way but out of excitement They're yelling, it's Jesus. Jesus is on the boat. Let's go. And as this little boy is standing there, we don't know, like, had he ever met Jesus before? Had he ever been in his presence? But what we we do know is that he's probably heard about him at this point. At this point in Jesus's ministry, you know, he's made a name for himself, a prophet who's speaking truth to power, a miracle worker who's making the lame to walk and the blind to see. It's kind of hard to, to kind of go under the radar when you're doing those kinds of things. And so as this little boy sees the crowd, and here's what they're saying. He decides that he's going to join in. He's going to see what all the fuss is about. He starts to follow along, and to, in order to get a peek at what is going on. Now, what this little boy doesn't know and what this crowd doesn't really know is that Jesus is out in this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee because he needs a minute. Do you ever just like need a minute in your life, right? He needs a minute. This is what Matthew says. Um, Jesus heard what had happened. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, which begs the question for us, what had happened, right? Well, what had happened was Jesus has just received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has died. And not only has he died, he's died in this very dramatic and traumatic way the 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 king of that area he's had him put to death by cutting off his head and serving it up on a platter y'all that's a lot It would have been enough for him to hear that, that he's lost this person who's close to him and his family, a cousin that's around his same age, a cousin that I imagine when they made their their pilgrimages to Jerusalem every year to celebrate all the important days that they would have mixed and mingled, it would have been enough just hearing that he was gone in that capacity, But beyond being close family members, Jesus and John were really partners in ministry. They were this one-two punch, right? You have John going before Jesus, telling people to repent and calling people to get ready because the kingdom is coming. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, y'all, the kingdom is here. He starts sharing the good news behind him. But now Jesus has lost this partner. Now Jesus is on this solo mission with just his disciples heading toward a fate that will be too similar to his cousins. And you have to think, like, Jesus is taking all of that in here in this moment when he's sitting out in the middle of this boat. Heavy seems like an understatement. There doesn't quite seem to be a word that could capture what he has to be feeling in this moment. However, his morning, and his meditation is soon interrupted because he hears all that chatter and all that chaos on the coastline. The crowd had somehow followed him. And parents here in this room, you get this, right? Because you know what it's like to need a moment and to perhaps go into the bathroom, whether you need to use it or not, just to catch your breath, right? And you like close the door and sit down and take that deep breath, maybe pull your phone off out to, you know, like go through reels on Instagram or hop on TikTok or whatever it is you do to like turn your brain off for a second and then the next thing you know you look down and this is what you see Anybody ever seen that before? I see that regularly at my home, right? And then you hear the voices. Mom, mom, are you in there? Mom, how long is it going to take? Mom, I need chocolate milk. Mom, I can't find my shoes. Mom, I'm never going to get this project done. And then, you know, they start the knocking on the door and the jiggling of the handle on the door. And as you're sitting there taking all this in, you probably mutter what my breath prayer is, something like this. Help me, Jesus. And whenever we do that, you guys, we can know that Jesus gets it, right? Because Jesus was in a very similar situation out in that boat in the middle of the sea. And so Matthew goes on. Jesus shouted, Leave me alone, go away. That's not it, okay? Uh, let's try again. He got to the shore and he jumped out of the boat and passive-aggressively stalked as he walked past them in order to go and do everything he was being asked. No, that's what I do, okay? Not Jesus. But instead, this is what Matthew says. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In the midst of his intense grief somehow jesus translates his own sorrow into sorrow for them and and he gets out of that boat and he offers them what it is that's sustaining him in that moment he offers them what it is that he has to give and that is hope he starts healing one person and then another person and then another and another and another and another until, oh man, like where did the time go? It's time to eat supper. All the while, don't forget who's standing there watching this healathon the little boy who'd left his house that morning. He's standing there amongst the crowd, watching it all in amazement, when suddenly there's a break in the action. Something's happening. Jesus' disciples are talking to him. They're, they seem to be passing on some kind of information, and so let's listen in. This is what Matthew says. The, the disciples said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. I truly believe that that the disciples are trying to be helpful in this moment, right? I, I believe that they cared about the people who were there, and they did need to eat. They were being very practical, right? But I also have to wonder if perhaps the disciples are are seeing this as a chance to draw this very long day to a close, right? Like when you're in a conversation and it seems like it just keeps going on and on and on and on and you wait for that person to like take a breath and you're like, oh man, I have to go, Right. Don't act like you've never done that. We all have, okay? And, and so that's what I imagine. Like, as the sun's going down, I see the disciples being like, This is our chance. We can pull him away because, you know, Jesus does need time by himself. That's what he'd been seeking in the first place. He hasn't had this chance to mourn. And the sun going down is like this natural reason for them to move along. However, Jesus, whenever his disciples say this to him, instead of him looking at them and saying, You know what? You're right. It has been a long day. I'm exhausted. Let's go. Instead, what he does is he throws a curveball. He says to his disciples this. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Who here in this room prepared a, a big meal for Thanksgiving or for Christmas for their family? Anybody? Darla did. Okay, Darla, how long did it take you to like plan that meal? You don't know? Okay, so a week before you're thinking about it. And then you had to go shop for it. That takes a minute, right? And then how long did it take you to cook the meal? All day. Okay, took you all day. And how many people did you feed? 10 people, okay? 10 people all day planning a week in advance. Darla, I want you to imagine that as you're driving home today, you get a call on your phone and you have 5,000 men plus women and children that will be arriving at your house and you need to feed them. How will you react to that news? Go crazy. All right, go crazy. I think we would all feel overwhelmed, right? And so it's not surprising that the disciples felt overwhelmed in the situation too. All four of the gospels record the disciples' reactions at different levels. Here in the gospel of Matthew and also in the gospel of Luke, they, they don't give us a whole lot of information. Mark go, goes on and tells us um, that that they reply like this. They're, they're concerned about the cost. They say that would take more than a half a year's wages, Again, very practical, right? And it's true, it's going to take a lot of money to feed that many people. But John, he gives us the most detail, and I love John because John does not hesitate to call out his fellow disciples. He will name names. And so in John, we learn that it's not just all the disciples being con- uh, concerned about the cost. It is Philip, okay? It was Philip, y'all. Philip said that's going to take way too much money, and he was even more dramatic about it, and he added this to it to make his point. He said, "And People will only get one bite each even then, all right? And so at this point in the Gospels, the disciples, they inform Jesus that they don't have much to work with. They all in every Gospel say that they come to Jesus and they say, all we have are five little loaves and two measly fish, but only John tells us where they find it. The disciple Andrew had shown some initiative and he'd gone out and um, and he'd like started asking around, like, do you have any food to share? You got any food? You got any food? And, and he had come back and he tells Jesus that he's only found one person. He's only found this little boy, this little boy who has his sack lunch, this very meager meal for one. And Andrew told Jesus, here is a boy With five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go amongst so many? You know, so often I think that that is our reaction when we encounter a hopeless situation. Our reaction is to focus immediately on what it is that we lack rather than what it is that we have I wonder in the situation, like as the boy is standing there and they're looking for this meal, um, they're looking for food of any sort, if he was kind of reluctant or maybe even embarrassed, like if he didn't want to hand over what he had because he was feeling in that moment what so many of us feel in in the face of big challenges. (laughs) I wonder if he was feeling shame because he didn't have more to offer. I wonder if he was feeling skeptical because could this even really begin to make a difference? I wonder if maybe, let's get really honest, if he's if he's experienced, experiencing some selfishness. Like, he's been out there all day. He's got to be hungry, right? Why not keep it for himself? What will happen if he turns it over? However, if he felt any of those things, what we know is that he moved beyond it. Because what he does is he chooses hope instead. He dares to believe that things could actually be different, that they could change, that Jesus, the one that he's just watched, heal people again and again and again and again, that he could take that little that he had and do immeasurably more than he could even begin to think or imagine. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus tells the people to sit down and then he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it. And then he breaks it again, and he breaks it again, and he breaks it again, and again, and again. Until all the people have not just eaten, but like are stuffed, like after a Thanksgiving meal stuff, Because there are seven basketfuls left over. I want you to think about that. Jesus, what he could have done is he could have taken care of this all by himself, right? He is Jesus. He could have rained down manna from heaven like he did for the Israelites in the Old Testament. He could have turned stones into bread and water into wine just by speaking the word, but instead he chooses, he chooses to work this miracle with this little boy who has a sack lunch. This little boy who... who doesn't even have like the slightest inkling when he begins his day that he's going to be a part of something so marvelous, this little boy whose name is not even recorded. You see, miracles, they're, they're not some magic that God works all by himself, nor are miracles some Herculean effort that we just like grit our teeth and try really hard and make happen on our own, but rather miracles are where God's heart and our hope meet often in very unexpected ways, to do more than we could have ever dreamt up by ourselves. I mean, come on, 5,000 people fed from one sack lunch. Miracles are not this either or, God or us thing, but rather it's both and, God and people partnering together to transform our world, to heal the brokenness around us. You guys, the other day, I got to witness a miracle. Uh, Brian Robbie, who's back in the back. Wave, Brian. Don't be shy. Uh, Brian is in the car business. He has his own car dealership. And so he buys and sells and trades cars, like, all the time. That's what he does. And so while buying a car might feel like something big for us, like, you do this. Most days, right? So he, this is where he lives. And recently he had someone um, come in and trade a car that was like a good get-around-town car, you know, can get you from point A to point B, no problem. Um, and he could have taken it, and he could have fixed it up, and he could have probably made a couple bucks off this car. But instead of seeing dollar signs, he saw this opportunity, this opportunity to take this little car and, and, and to, to put it in the hands of God and see what it could do for someone else. He contacted the church, and he asked, like, is there anyone that you know that needs a vehicle? And I didn't know anyone off the top of my head, so I texted um, my friends, Cindy Hughes and Joe Patterson, who serve over at the Melrose campus, and within seconds, I had a name back. There was a woman in our church who had um, saved up money and purchased a car. And um, when she got it, it was kind of a lemon, right? Like it was not as promised. And then she took it to get it fixed. And then like that did not go well either. And so this woman found herself um, having to, to walk where she needed, you know, she walked her kids to school and then she walked to work and then she had to rely on her friends and family to get her wherever it was that she needed to go. And at that moment in her life, she could not even imagine things, being different like she'd accepted that that was her reality and she was getting things done but then I sent her a message to see if she indeed needed a car, and told her what was available. And uh, she couldn't, she couldn't believe it, y'all. In fact, she thought it was a scam. And so um, she wanted to make sure that I really was who I said I was, and did some behind-the-scenes research and figured out my number was just one number off from Jeremy, so it had to be real, right? But even then, she wasn't satisfied. Um, there was like a time period in between where we were waiting for the title to come back, and we'd parked the car over at the Melrose campus. And And so she got one of her friends to drive her over to the Melrose campus to see if the car really existed, right? And then eventually the day came for us to hand her the keys, to sign the car over to her. And she was still in shock when she got to the church. She just kept saying over and over again, like, who does this? Who just gives somebody a car? And then eventually she said, I know who. And, you know, it was it was God. And she kept thanking me. And I said, don't thank me. Thank Brian and Beth. You know, I can say that. But, you know, she recognized like that this was a miracle happening in her life. What Brian had to offer was placed in God's hands with hope, with hope that it could indeed make a difference to someone else. And the result was that Jesus took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he handed this woman a miracle. She receives, like, so much more than that car to help her get from here or there. But she received hope as well. <laughs> hope that, that now, like, what wasn't possible a day before was now possible. Like, places she couldn't go, she could now go. And opportunities she couldn't pursue, she could now run after. A miracle had happened as, as God's heart and as Brian's hope met in this very unexpected way. This Christmas, you are going to encounter the brokenness of our world in all sorts of different ways. And we are going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted to to look at that, that, that challenge and say that that challenge is just too big. We're going to be tempted to look at that challenge and say that it's going to cost too much to fix it. We're going to be tempted to perhaps feel shame and say, like, what I have to offer is not enough. Or we're going to perhaps feel skepticism that it could ever change, that it could ever feel different. Or perhaps we'll feel some selfishness, wondering, like, what happens if I give this? Will I have enough? But my prayer is that we would meet the brokenness of our world with hope. With hope that that we can place what we have in God's hands, no matter how small it might seem, and that He would be able to take it and bless it and break it and do far more than we can even imagine or dream. This morning I want to pray for, for God to open up our hearts and minds to be ready for those encounters we have in the days ahead. Let's pray. Lord God, as we move into the season, the season that is is filled with um, so many different emotions with joy and with laughter, but also with mourning and grief, as we move into the season where we have so many different um, so many different responsibilities that weigh on us, so many places to go and people to see, but it can be so easy to walk right past opportunities that are standing, staring us in the face, opportunities that are inviting us to play a small part in what you're doing in the world. And so, God, as we stand here at the very edge of Advent, I pray that you would help us to take a deep breath, that you would help us to to choose, to make a choice, to deliberately move through this season with hearts wide open, hearts that, that pray for you to do the unexpected in front of us, opportunities for us to offer what it is we have so that you can do much. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.